This morning, we have one verse, James 5.12. It reads like this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. That's it. One verse. So pray with me as we go into this verse together. Father, in this short passage, we see the beauty of an honest church. So may what is reflected in James 5.12 be true of us as a church family, that our words can reflect our Lord. We ask for your Spirit to guide us as a church family through this time, that we hear what you want us to hear, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So, I don't have a list of my failures. Uh, it would be rather long. <clears throat> but I do have a list of some of them. Some of my failures come to mind as just gaffes. I go, oh man, these are bad. So here are two, just two of many from the past few years of my life. One kind of at the beginning of my ministry life, and then one with the family that the kids will remember. So two failures of mine. One was an administrative blunder. I don't know how good you are at keeping calendars, uh, but my administrative blunder made people scramble to figure out what to do. Because essentially, I committed to be in three places at one time. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. So three places in one time, and my seminary student way of scheduling, which was to basically say, yeah, that sounds good, was no longer sufficient now that new demands were placed upon me in a ministry position. So I thought, okay, well, yeah, just do that, do that. And I remember specifically scurrying about trying to figure out how to cover all of these things. And what, what ends up happening, of course, is now everyone I had committed to has to figure out what to do with the fact that I won't be there. So I was supposed to go teach somewhere. I said, I'm really sorry. I'm over here. Or I'm not in town or whatever it might be. But I made commitments, and other people had to pick up my pieces. I'm sure you've been there before. Uh, here's another one. The kids still remember this one. It's a clear time I lied. Okay? A big fat lie. So for a, a while, and it hasn't happened since we moved to Texas, uh, but for a while, I would just change the oil in our vehicles because it was easier. I could get it done on my schedule whenever I wanted, no big deal. Uh, and we were driving a lot more. Not much driving happening now. Uh, actually, we are driving a lot in the Houston area. But the past few months, not too much. So I would change my oil. I could get better oil for a less cost and driving it in somewhere. So you do the math. You go, okay, I can spend an hour and get this thing done. Now, my new strategy is to buy the oil I want and just ask somebody if they would do it for labor. Uh, and that is, you know, I save myself time, not money. That's a better strategy. If you want it, let me know. But here's what happens. And this is the annoying part about changing your own oil. You have to do something with your oil. You have to go take it to AutoZone or, I mean, my friend at, in his place in Louisiana, like, they, you could take it to, like, to the backside of a fire station, and there were these bins that you could just put them in, and they would take care of it there. But you have to figure out how to properly dispose of your oil. That's not a problem that you have if you get your oil changed at a place that changes oil. So check for those places. 
Not a big deal. There wasn't an auto zone uh, far from my house, so I would go ahead and just take it there, and I'd go ahead, just got my oil, bring my pan, glug, 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 glug. Well, one time, uh, I had some work done on my car, and the power steering fluid was a little high. So it wasn't very high, but just a little high. So I got like a syringe, essentially, and just kind of pulled off, pulled out some of the power steering fluid out of the reservoir, right? And I got it to where it was at the right level, and I just, about doing oil change, so I just put it in my oil pan. Then, change the oil. Then, go to AutoZone. Same thing I usually do. And I just walk up. Oh, hey, I'm going to put the oil in there. The guy at AutoZone looks at me and goes, that's just oil, right? I said, yeah. It wasn't. I knew it wasn't. It was not just oil. It was oil, mainly, and some power steering fluid. I knew better. Clearly knew better. And I dumped the oil into the big reservoir. AutoZone, if you hear me now, I think I even emailed you an apology, but whatever. I drive home. And what happens? If you know me, you know I can have a really guilty conscience. And so I drive home, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Somebody asked me a question straight up. I looked at them in the face. It was a yes, no, and I said, yeah, it's only oil. Oh. Courtney knows me well enough to know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to turn around. You're going to go back to AutoZone. You're going to, you know, wallow in your feeling bad, and you're going to tell them what you did, which is exactly what I did. So there I go, get in the van, drive back to AutoZone, hat in hand, go find the person I just straight up lied to. I said, hey, I just got to be honest with you, man. You asked me if there were oil and only oil in that, and there was not only oil in that. Some of you are going, oh, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter, right? Like, it does matter. It doesn't matter if, like, there were... 1% of the thing was power steering fluid. I knew what was in there, and I looked at the guy who asked me, is it only oil? And I said, no, or yes, it's only oil, sorry. Uh, So lie, write to him, go and confess it, stomach and not still, feel like just a fool. And the guy was like, I mean, I think it'll be okay. And there's nothing you can do now because I've already messed it up, right? I've already taken the gigantic metal drum and ruined it with whatever's supposed to be in there. And you go, well, other people probably do that too, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what I did was look somebody in the eye who asked me a question and lied to them. Why? I wanted to look better. I wanted to really get the oil out of my house, and so I just found a thing to do. Now, my words at that point couldn't be trusted, and unfortunately for many of us, For many of us, and you heard Hannah say it in the video when you pinky swear, for many of us, words can't be trusted. We live in a world of mistrust in the church and abroad. We hear things like fake news. Fake news. Like, I can't believe believe what you have to say. You would be lying to me. You must be lying to me. Or something like this. I knew that this would happen. Or this, I can't believe I trusted you. We hear these phrases far too often because we live in a world where we do not trust other people. And honestly, they probably don't trust us. Because in the church, we have been let down and let others down more often than we would wish to admit. But God wants better for us. God wants a church that reflects His character, not our character. He wants a church that is trustworthy. 
because he is trustworthy. He wants a church where you can rely on your brothers and sisters in your church family. If they say, I'll do that, I'll be there, I'm in, I'm committed, we want a church where we can believe that. Where we don't have to go, do you mean it? Are you sure? Do you pinky swear? Can I get that in writing? And we do some of those things too, and I'll talk even about that. But a place where people go, I'm there. I'm in. You can trust me. And it's funny because just honesty and trustworthiness is often so far from us. But it is what the Lord wants for us and what he wants from us as a church family. So today's passage is familiar. It's one verse. Because it's one verse, we're going to spend a little bit of time just explaining what we see. And what we're going to see first is, remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. If you have been memorizing the Sermon on the Mount with us in our F260 New Testament reading this year, then you have probably been connected or found the connections between what we have seen in James and what we've been memorizing in the F260. If you're in one of our discipleship groups and you're going through that, and I've even in my own discipleship group, people are like, man, I did not realize how much we see the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount reflected in the heart of James in his epistle. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with Jesus, and then we're going to go to James 5.12. Because what we're going to see is that James is simply just repeating the words of his older brother. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus teaches us to keep our word. <laughs> That's what Jesus teaches us to do. Jesus teaches us to keep our word. So you have memorized this already in our F260. You might not remember that you've memorized it. But if you've kind of moved along with us at the pace of the year, then you've gone through it. And this is from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So those are the words of Jesus. Do they sound familiar? They should, because we just read James saying a similar thing. The Old Testament verse that Jesus uses is Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Now, Jesus going back to Leviticus, repeating it, adjusting it to go, you shouldn't have to do this ever. But we, human hearts, are wicked and in need of redemption. So rather than say something like uh, this phrase, which is even an uncomfortable one to hear, like, I swear to God, people will hear people say that. What does the Lord say in Leviticus? Don't say that. You don't, you, you don't need to swear like that. But what they'll start to do is they'll kind of create 
these other ways to make some kind of commitment. Rather than do that, I'll make some type of lesser commitment. I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by the temple, or I swear by this as a way to kind of make a lesser vow that maybe even you could break. That's why I'm saying, don't do all these things. Just say what you mean. And you don't need to swear. Later, as people try to make these lesser commitments that they can break, Jesus actually rebukes them in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 16. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made it, or the, or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus' rebuke was simple. God is all-powerful. You have no room to try and make some type of lesser commitment. But that's what we do with our legalistic hearts is go, I want to be okay with God. So I'm going to say, well, if you swear like this, you can break that one. But if you swear like that, that one's more serious, right? When we say the same thing, it's like when you cross your fingers and you put them behind your back when you shake somebody's hand, you go, oh, no, my fingers were crossed. I mean, that's exactly what he is rebuking them for. It's just a verbal finger crossing. You say this, you say you operate like that, you say, oh, well, we can break these oaths, but not those oaths. Jesus is going, that's not how life works. And that's not what he would expect of his people. Jesus' expectation is that God's people keep their word. And with that idea in mind, we can then move to James, but it's really more of the same, isn't it? James teaches what he heard from Jesus, which is keep your word. So we have Jesus saying it. James, a student of his brother, says the exact same thing. Here's our verse again. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes or your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. This is a common theme in this epistle of James, our words. What do we say? How do we speak? Because it's reflective of what's going on in our hearts. And so James teaches again what he heard from Jesus. Keep your word. There is no secret preacher hack here. Sometimes like we want we want in a <clears throat> in a sermon, like, tell me what's really going on. And many times there's nothing else going on. James is saying, when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. That's what we want. James finds no value in people claiming some type of higher authority when they make such a promise. Thus, you don't have to put your hand on the Bible. You don't have to say, on my mother's grave. You don't have to say, I promise 
I really promise, as if just saying you'll be there, you then have to tag on and I promise to it. You need no other way to buttress your word other than your word itself. You need no other way or explanation to say, no, I'll really be there. Once you say it, you mean it. And that's really how we should, as a church family, operate together. Thus, when a Christian says yes, she should mean yes. The commitment stands. When he says no, he should mean no. But you say, well, what about contracts? What about getting things in writing? What about being sure we understand what we're talking about? Because life can get complex and you're not really sure what you're talking about or maybe even what you're committing to. And if you need to get things in writing, go for it. But for me and for the Christian, when I refinance my house and I sign all the paperwork they make me sign to say, are you going to do this? Hey, you pay like this or do whatever. And the title person brings you through, this just means this and this just means that, just this means that. I have no problem signing those things. Why? Because I've already committed to pay it. Now I'm just writing it down. But I've already said it. My word is stronger than the contract. Or it should be. And so committing or putting it in writing for clarity's sake is great. So that we know what we're committing to. But the very fact that I committed to it is really all that you need. Right? So writing helps. What did you say? What do you mean? What are we going by? To be sure that we're on the same page. But writing it down doesn't make your word any stronger, or shouldn't, because it's your word. Now, I want to focus just for a bit on why this idea matters. Christians are people marked by the Lord, by the work of Jesus for them. We belong to him. He's given us his spirit. Our lives should reflect the one who has saved us. And what is an important aspect about God, about his character? It's that he is trustworthy. With God, you do not have to wonder if he will be faithful. When he called Abram, we might call him Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he showed himself faithful to Abram and his family, but also to the whole nation of Israel. When Israel was in exile, his promises remained the prophecies about Jesus' birth came to pass. His death, his burial, and his resurrection happened as God spoke. For all who place their faith in the work of Jesus, they are saved. God's word stands true. God is faithful, he is truth telling, and he is truth loving. His people should delight in acting like him, in speaking in ways that are true. Will you be able to be as faithful as God in what you say? No. No. Should you then let that change the fact that you want to strive to be trustworthy and upright and honestly keeping your word should be a given for a believer. Don't overcommit. Don't take on too much. Right? It's not just say yes. It's also say no. 
So if you need to say no to something, say no to something. And this is the funny part. And when you say no to it, don't do it. Like, don't say, no, I can't do that, and then come back behind and then do it. That's always the funny part to me. It's like, both of those. If you say yes, do it. If you say no, don't do it. Or just say, hey, can I, can I change? I don't know. So, we have been called out of darkness and into light. And so we should speak in a way that is keeping with the light, that is honest and upright and trustworthy and reliable, a way that reflects God and glorifies Him. And we sometimes think about glorifying God as like this huge, like, well, we're here on, you know, singing, and we're like, ah, right? And like, it's like we have put on this big show, and we don't think you glorify God when you say what you mean. Why? Because He says what He means. You glorify God when you can be trusted. Why? Because he can be trusted. Because you're reflecting the character of your Lord. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with these ideas? And we'll develop this for a bit. But this is it. What James says is what Jesus says, what we say. You let your word stand alone. Because it's your word. Because he's your Lord. You mean what you say, you say what you mean, and you don't have to wonder what is going on. Now, we have this rule in our house, which sometimes I break. My kids know that I break it, and if they're listening right now, which sometimes they don't, but if they're listening right now, then they know this. In our family, we have to trust what one another say. And I know my kids are young. But clearly, I've messed this rule up too. Remember AutoZone? Yeah. So in our family, we have to trust what one another say. If I ask you, did you do it? And you say no. I shouldn't then keep asking, did you do it? 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 Right? On and on and on. Because what happens? Trust gets eroded. Now, my children don't think that, well, Dad doesn't believe me if I tell him anything. And so we have to abide by that as a family. Did you do it? And I can tell sometimes my kids are lying, but often what happens in my heart is that once that happens once, I feel like I can't trust anything else that is said, rather than to say we need to trust one another. If I tell you something's going to happen, it should happen. If I tell you that it won't, it won't. And it was funny because recently I was having that conversation with one of my children, and his brother overheard it. And his brother's the one that was like, it's frustrating to me, and I'm using you know, my phrasing, it's frustrating to me that you keep asking him if he did it when I know he didn't and he told you he didn't. Right? Because he's trying to abide by our rule. If he says he didn't do it, I know he didn't do it, why do you keep asking him? What are you trying to squeeze out of him? Even me, I can't then abide by yes be yes and no be no. I can't create that culture atmosphere in my home if I am untrusting as a dad. Now, I know some of you go, well, there will be times when your kids will lie or whatever else. I know that. <clears throat> and doesn't the Lord give us an opportunity and a way to seek forgiveness and restoration when we have done that? It doesn't mean I need to go around living like I don't trust people. Because we should abide by this. So to let your word stand alone, 
Think about a couple of examples. Uh, to business owners, those who interface regularly with others in your jobs, you should be esteemed because of your follow-through. People should look to you and go, I know that person is a lock to be there because they said they'd be there. If you are in a contract or an arrangement with somebody, you keep it because you agreed to it. People should know you and see you as dependable as the sunrise. They should see what you say and go, okay, they mean it. And if your plans are prevented because of something unforeseen, of course, remember that as James teaches us, we say, if the Lord wills. But if we have said something in, a, in our business or with a customer or a client, if we've said something to them, then we should stand by the thing that we've said. If we have committed something to them, then we should stand by the commitment that we have made. If we have promised them money, then we should give them the money that they are due. Remember just earlier in chapter 5 how frustrated James was with the rich because they would not pay people what they had said they were due. Withholding funds. You should be reliable as an employee, as an employer, as a business partner, as a friend. You should be counted on. Another simple example. When you have an appointment with somebody, be there. Just be there. And while time and the understanding of time is culturally bound and understood, meaning some cultures are much more time-flexible than Americans are. And so if you say in some cultures, hey, I'll be there at 2, you might expect them at 5. I remember my buddy's wedding in South America started super late. We were not eating at the reception until 11 p.m. 11 p.m. I was just like, what in the world is happening? And so now we have jokes about my dear friend. My kids and I might be up late, and we'd be like, I wonder if Pablo's eating right now. Uh, and because it wouldn't be uncommon when I would visit them to be eating dinner at 10, 10, 30, 11. And I remember one time people just came over while we were eating dinner super late at night. And I'm like, what is happening here? Like this is, if you came over, if you knocked on my door at 11 o'clock and I had a gun, which I don't, uh, I might find it and try and use it. I, it's like 11 o'clock knocking on my door. Who does that? 11 o'clock knocking on the door at my buddy's house. It's just like, that's expected. So if you like being late to your meetings, then there's a great opportunity for you to go be a missionary in a culture that doesn't really care about time. Just go do it, right? If that's like your vibe, maybe God has made you to go be that person and go live in that world. And it's funny, like, I joke about it. It's in jest to laugh, but seriously. Like, if you have a way of operating that really enjoys just kind of being loose with everything, go to cultures that love that and share Jesus with them there. Right? Many times, in the way we operate, we have to keep schedules. That's why when I triple booked myself, I was like, shoot. Because now there are people who are relying on me to be somewhere, and I can't be there. And that's a serious deal to me. Why? Because I said yes. And at least in two of those yeses, I have to what? I mean no. I have to flip it. To those who have debts, which is many of us, not most of us, pay your debts. There might come a time when you have to, right, our whole system has a way to file bankruptcy and figure out how to adjust or change your debt, both business and personal. But if you have debts, 
pay them. Keep the commitment. If you renegotiate, great. But don't just disappear. Keep your word. The book of Romans says it like this. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. To parents, when you make commitments to your kids, finish them. Parents can sometimes be the worst, and grandparents too, but can sometimes be the worst at just telling their kids something to shut them up and just saying, oh, yeah, no, yeah, we'll, probably, we'll go do that. And what do you really hope? They'll just go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and forget. That's why you say it. What did you do? You have demonstrated your untrustworthiness to your children. You have said to them, I'm going to tell you things just to get you to stop talking. I'm going to promise you things just to go ahead and get you to stop doing them. What if the Lord treated us like that? In even just one thing. If in even one thing Jesus came to us with his fingers crossed, we would never know if we could be saved. We would never know if he loved us. Never know if we're forgiven. Never know if he's returning. So when we say things just to try and get kids to be quiet, we're training them not to trust us. We're showing them that what we say are really just words to try and manipulate life to be what we want. And I don't live this out well. You may not live this out well. We mess this up, don't we? I remember, and I, I believe I was a college student at the time, but I remember reading this psalm and going, man, this feels a lot like what I want to be as a person. <clears throat> it's only five verses. I'm going to read the whole psalm. And you'll hear the one that I'm talking about, the verse I'm talking about in verse 4. But Psalm 15 goes like this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend and whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent he who does these things shall never be moved follow through on our commitments seems basic but how many people live wondering if someone will show up? If you're really going to be there? We need to regain. If we don't have it, we need to regain it. A love for keeping our word to one another. Never to commit beyond what we can. But never holding back from that standard and expectation of following through. And if you'll fail, which you will, and which I will, and I have, and you have, not if, but when. So if you fail and when you fail, ask for forgiveness. 
ask for forgiveness. This, this is such a simple topic or a simple idea. But to say to somebody, I'm sorry that I didn't keep my word there. I'm sorry that I didn't show up on time. I'm sorry that I left you hanging. I'm sorry that I overcommitted. Relationally, that does so much to rebuild trust, doesn't it? If somebody just goes, I'm sorry, I whiffed. It slipped my mind. I did not know. You ask forgiveness of the Lord and for those you've let down. Why? Because we have language from Jesus, from James, of saying what we mean, keeping our commitments. And this is the one I really like for us to today. When the Lord brings to mind something that you've not followed through on, even if it was a long time ago, if you have the opportunity to make it right, do it. If you made a promise to your kids forever ago and you said, yeah, we'll do that, and now your kids are adults, make it right. Follow through. If you promise to take them somewhere or do something with them, and you said, yes, we will do that, and you still have time and energy and the ability to correct it, correct it. If you told a friend that you would do something for them or be there for them, and you have forgotten or neglected that, and you're just kind of hoping it doesn't come up again, be bigger. Trust the Lord and step into how awkward that might even be. But let Him be the one to guide you there. Let Him be the one to help you and give you that strength. Why? Because you're following through. I will take a follow-through that's a decade in the making rather than not following through that's two decades in the making. Hoping they don't think. I mean, and you probably all have these relationships in your life where you're going, I really hope they don't remember that thing we talked about a long time ago. I really hope. They remember. They remember. We all remember, right? We don't remember all the good things that happened in our life. We remember all the broken promises. We remember all the things that were said to us or people don't follow through. I am sure you are thinking about them right now just like I am. The time you were told yes, and it meant no. The time you were told no, and it meant yes, or whatever it might be. You're thinking about them. And here's the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable reality is that you've also been that for somebody. In the same way you're thinking about somebody, somebody's probably thinking about you. That's why the grace of the Lord here is so important. Only Jesus is the one who is always there in the right way, at the right time. But that should not change our desire to glorify Him with our promise and our word. I would love for Genesis Community Church to be the place where every relationship we had, both together and every relationship we had with people in this world who do not know the Lord, regardless of how other people viewed you, regardless of how they thought of you, regardless of any of that, the one thing that they could not say against you is that you are unreliable and untrustworthy. But that you set a standard 
of reliability. And when they ask why or they say thank you, you go, you know why? Because I have a Lord who has kept his word to me in everything. And even when I fail, I can go to him for forgiveness. And so I want to be like him. I want to reflect him. And making it right is hard because you have to swallow your pride. You have to admit you've failed. And who wants to do that? Ugh. But as Christians, we should let our words stand alone. We don't need a double promise, pinky swear. And it's funny that Hannah even said pinky swear because I wrote it down like three weeks ago when I was working on this, pinky swear. Hand on the Bible, on our mother's grave, or anything else, because it pales in comparison to the fact that you have been marked by Jesus, have his spirit, and should reflect him. You should need no external way of keeping your word because, right? The spirit of Christ is in us. And that's enough. That's enough. The very fact that we belong to God to provide the reasoning that we need to keep our word and to not try and make it any shinier because it's shiny enough. It's pure enough because we belong to him. And I am grateful for the grace of Jesus that he always is there uh, before me, beside me, above me, below me, that he is always there to cover in my failures. And I am embarrassed by missteps and areas of deceit. But I can always go to the Lord for grace. Why? Because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. John writes that to a church. Not for salvation, but for the continued, restored walk with the Lord. He is faithful to cleanse us of those things, purify us from the ways we've been living, and walk rightly with him. So in James 5.12, we see an example which is passed down from Jesus to his brother to us. Our words matter. Christians should be trusted because their Lord is trusted. And he's trustworthy. So I would just say this. Seek honesty with one another and the world around us because the Lord is honest with us and he delights in truth. And we can show the world, even in how we keep our word, that Jesus is good.